After a series of solo podcasts, I'm delighted to be able to get back to the interview format. I've got a brilliant guest on this week, if I don't mind saying so myself, a guy called Benjamin Dennehy. Benjamin has the title of the UK's most hated sales trainer. Make of that what you will. Um, and you probably know somebody who can run them close for that title next year, I'm sure. We cover a lot of ground in sales, regardless of your position in business development, whether you're a business owner, sales director, sales manager, sales exec looking at improving your own performance. There's going to be a lot of content in this. It's kind of high paced, a lot of good energy in it. And we cover a lot of ground. We cover the role of the salesperson, um, how important they are to a commercially focused organization, yet um, training can be two weeks, laptop, company car, and off you go, whereas a doctor takes seven years to train, barrister takes five years, and we, we, we look at that um, and the image that sales has. We look at process, we look at those things that we find are rituals in our own performance that we think serve us well, but over a period of time, perhaps they serve us less well. So cold shower, hold up the mirror and take a look at yourself and maybe uncomfortable listening for sales managers and sales directors who are perhaps afraid of seeing their sales team in a certain light. We talk about telephone sales, um, which I talk about a lot, but we talk about how effective it can be, how effective most channels of sales can be. Um, it's just simply the technique, the attitude, and the process that's, that's deployed. A whole bunch of other stuff. Um, without any further chat from me, ladies and gentlemen, Benjamin Denny. Benjamin, first of all, um, thanks for your time. Really good to uh, get talking to you. Um, just a preamble beforehand, and I kind of want a good starting point for this. Tell me a bit about yourself and how you managed to um, secure that title. <laughs> right, yeah. Everybody wants to know. So, um, like 95% of people in sales, I fell into this. This is not what I wanted for my life. I had dreams, I had aspirations, I had hopes. And no one wants to be in sales when they're at school. Yeah, this is not the outcome that your mum had for you, that your dad had, that anyone who wanted you to aspire, you know? So I got into it because I needed a job. That's virtually how everyone gets into sales. They need a job, they go to university, they do some studying, they do some training, or they just leave school. Uh, they can talk well, they don't dribble during interviews, and they look okay in a suit. That now pretty much qualifies you to enter the world of sales. So, But I did qualify as a barrister. I was actually going to be a criminal defense barrister. That was the plan. And so I decided to take a few years out before I dived into a career. Uh, and then I realized very quickly that I didn't have the personality to be a barrister. Um, I lack the humility and the ability to difference myself. So the system was too restrictive for me. So what do you do if you've got a law degree? You, you, you're pretty well educated. You speak okay. And like I say, you don't dribble and you look okay in a suit 20 years ago. You get a job in sales. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's all there is to do. I have no other skills. Law is a useless skill degree if you don't practice law in many respects, right? So what do you? Do? So I fell into sales, um, and I started off in recruitment. Uh, they'll hire anybody, right? And um, okay. set a company record. I didn't recruit anyone in six months. I was rubbish, absolutely awful at it. Um, and I was actually given a week's notice. They said you've got a week, Benjamin. And I remember thinking, oh God, I'm going to have no job. Uh, and I'm living in London at the time, and I thought, well, I better do something. So I went in the following. So this was on a Friday. I was given my week's notice. 
So I just got in the next week and I hit the phones really hard because they love getting in front of people. That's all recruiters want to do, get in front of people to take on a job. So I just hit the phone and I got a load of meetings and I had a stay of execution. Uh, uh, my director emailed me, he said, Benjamin, I can't make our meeting today at five. I want you to do more of what you did this week, next week. Just keep doing what you've done. So I did it again and I got a load of meetings. So then we had our meeting the following Friday and he said, I'll tell you what, Benjamin, I'm not going to fire you. Woohoo. <laughs> I'm going to give you a different job. I want you to solely do business development. So you're not going to be a recruiter. You're not going to go on these meetings. Your job is to set up the appointments and let actual people that can recruit and do the selling go on the meetings. Or I'll take it, right? Because I, I still I need a job. So fine. So that's how I fell into the world of telephone prospecting. And then ironically, within about three months, I got poached by another company that specialized in setting appointments, a lead generating company, for advertising agencies in the city of London. No way. And, right yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, now I knew uh, the reason is a, a, another recruiter who left recruitment ended up working there, and he said, "Oh, I know a guy. He's gonna smash this job." I mean, for some reason, people just like meeting with him. So, um, I I started there, and I knew nothing about advertising. I never studied, not a thing, right? And of course, you're in London, one of the world's premier cities. So that was an ordeal by far. But in my first month, I set 14 appointments, and the owner was like, "Bloody hell, you're good." And I, I was doing that for about 18 months. And then I suddenly had this thought, I don't know why, I'm a very slow learner. It's like, why the hell am I working for this guy? He's being paid about three grand a month per client. I've got three or four clients that I'm working on, which means I'm generating him about 12 grand a month for my meetings. Sod it, I'm just going to go find my own advertising agencies and offer the same service. And that's exactly what I did. And then from about 2006 through to 2015, that's pretty much all I did every day uh, for 10 years was telephone prospect, just get people on the phone. Um, so just 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 on that, because I worked in London, I was working for a fairly big um, publishing group at the time dealing with advertising agencies. And um, that's, a, that's a tough, like, I mean, you talk about competition and competitive and how to stand out. Advertising agencies should be able to stand out better than any other business, really, because that's their job to to do that for their, their clients. How, how did you find selling appointments for that sector? Well, this was it. Now, this is, this, is, this, is, this is why it was a false sales environment because what you discover about creative people, especially people that work in advertising, they have big egos and they love to talk to people about how great they are. So they actually never cared if they sold anything. They just wanted to get in front of brand managers and brand directors because it was what they want. So there was no real purpose to these just get us in front of the brand director of pepsi get us in front of the we got there okay fine i'll get you and it didn't matter how i got them there so long as i got in front of them they were happy so what i developed was a lot of really bad ways of selling i i, I used to call it the stun grenade approach i was very good at wowing and amazing people on the phone and having them saying okay you do sound fascinating come and see us and they get there they do their dog and pony show and it would always end with well it's interesting but we got nothing for you now yeah but they'd come back and they'd say that was a great meeting benjamin yeah. And I'd be, okay. And I realized one day, I was sitting at my desk. How old was I? I must have been 35. Yeah, I must have been 35. And it hit me. I'm going to be doing this at 50 if I don't figure out a way out. There's no career trajectory in telephone prospecting. Yeah. Unless I set up my own company and hired people, which I did do very briefly, and I hated it. I'm not really a people person to that extent. I hate managing people. I hate all the politics involved with managing people. And I just want people to get on with their fucking job. And uh, salespeople are probably the least people to leave alone to get on with their job because they just won't do it if left to yeah. their own advice. So 
I said, was that alone? And I realized very quickly, I'm going to be doing this in my 50s. I need to find a way out. And that's when I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to sell, how to really sell, how to do it properly. I want to figure out, because if I can sell, I'll probably make money for the rest of my life. And that's what started my journey uh, to become a sales trainer was the, the art of learning how to sell. Uh, going on the meetings with my clients, I said, look, can I come on these meetings that you've been setting, that I've been setting? I want to see what you do. You know, I'd watch them and I'd say, was that a good meeting? Oh, yeah, it was a great meeting. Why was it a good meeting? Well, they liked us. I said, but they're not buying anything. Oh, no, 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 Benjamin, this is how you do it. It's all about building relationships. Get your foot in the door. I said, I'll tell you what, this all seems wrong to me. And I go, well, that's why it is, Benjamin. I've been in this business 20 years. All right, I'm not going to argue with it, but it seemed wrong to me. And so I decided to figure out there's got to be a better way. This the show up, throw up, and hope strategy seems wrong. And, yeah, that's really interesting because um, people who employ training, it's a bit like going to the dentist, right? And the dentist is about to take one of your teeth out and you grab his hand and say, no, no, take out the one beside it. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> not really going to take, you know, you think you know better because they're my teeth. I've had them for 40 years. Like, yeah. And someone comes in and throws things up on the air. It's, it's sometimes hard for businesses to accept that they haven't been doing it right. Well, the hell, because the problem people have is people in business think if somebody gives you money, it makes you a salesman. But it's actually not hard to get money off of people. You can lie to them. You can deceive them. You can discount. You can buy the business. There are so many ways to get people to give you money. That doesn't make you a salesman. And this is the problem most people have managed to meander through. And the order takers, if you truly look at what they do, it was right time, right place, right product. Uh, got referred in by someone who's a big friend. And so a lot of organic business is not the result of any sales rule skill that comes down to just, you know, dumb luck, circumstances, and opportunity. But when times get tough and those things start to dry up, that's when companies suddenly get into trouble. It's, well, hold on, but I thought you were doing so well, selling brilliantly during the good times. There's still the same amount of money circling around in the economy during COVID. People were still spending money. They were just working from home. But, the, the, the you know, the, the economy, with the exception of hospitality, didn't grind to a halt. Yeah. So why aren't you selling? Because the environment had changed and suddenly they're order takers. I had MDs say to me, it's funny, during COVID, I got to get rid of most of my sales guys, but I still kept the same level of income coming in made me realize what the hell did they do all day they were just sat there absolutely yeah there's a couple of industries that I, I can't give you the industries here because people will know who i'm talking about from my work but one in particular used um COVID as a real sort of self-reflection period where they were going hang on a second and they they, they just very comfortably very easily and probably rightly removed 35% of their workforce because they were able to do the same work. And these guys that were there weren't adding any value, were waiting for the doors to open, waiting for inbound. And there was, as you say, order takers. And that's, um, again, a, a piece of reflection for businesses that have to admit when, when that's not working for them. Yeah. Oh, yes. And they hate it when the mirrors held up. Uh, they really hate it. And so, uh, ironically, people... The only people I get contacted by for help are CEOs, MDs, or salespeople. No one in the middle management. Sales directors and sales managers very rarely reach out to me because they're usually the problem. They reinforce the same crappy behaviors because that's how they knew to do it. And all they do is micromanage and tell them, do more. It's just volume, volume, volume. And of course, anything in volume will net results. Yeah. I could buy a million lottery tickets, strike it rich. Does that make me a successful entrepreneur? 
Yeah. So no. just take, taking then a slight, um, slight angle on this, you would say arguably that the problem rests with the management more often than the salesperson. Oh, yes, because management don't even know what to look for in a good salesman. You, you know, why did you hire people that don't telephone prospect? Well, they said they did in the interview. Yeah, but yeah, you believe them? You actually sat there and believed someone who needs a sales job said to you, you know, I don't mind prospecting. How did you test them or challenge them? Did you get them to make calls in front of you? Yeah. Very seldom they don't do that. Yeah, no, they won't. I've been at interviews where people have flat out refused. Yeah. And it's like, why? It's like, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Then how the hell are you going to do it on payroll? In an office with a load of strangers that you don't know. Yeah, no, no. So they hire for the wrong things. And they hire, they look at the wrong things. They often hire for things that um, are forwards, not forwards looking, they're backwards looking. Skills, experience, and results. What results did you get your last job? What's your experience? And what sort of skills do you have? All of those only tell me they were any good up to the point they've applied for my job. But what's a predictor of future success? Habits, behaviors, beliefs, cognitive ability. But they don't test for that. So I say to people, talk me through your prospecting habit. What does it look like? What do you do every day? Talk me through the structure of your call. Okay, let's do a role play. Yeah. Why aren't you a better salesperson? If someone doesn't have introspection and they can't give you an answer, why aren't you better? Why aren't, uh, I suppose I still struggle talking about money. Well, see, that's good. At least you admit it, right? And what have you done to try and fix that problem in the last yeah. six months? That's what we're looking for. So they hire people that interview well. So they interview like Tom Cruise. They look like Tom Cruise but they turn into Mr. Bean once on payroll. That's uncomfortable for business owner, and that's uncomfortable for uh, an interviewee. You know, that's not, that's not what they want in an interview. <laughs> they don't want that. And if they don't want that in an interview, it's unlikely they're going to want that in the day, today, 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 because every sales call should be a challenge. It can't, be that, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. And let's think about it. Other than you've moved into the neighbourhood, there is very legitimate reason for a salesperson to be looking for another job. Why are you looking for another job if you're already in sales? Is uh, a commission cap, no, so you can do it as much as you want, yes. So why are you looking for another job? Oh, I'm just looking for a new challenge. No, that's code for I can see the writing on the wall. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to jump before they get me. That's what that means. Because there's no legitimate reason if you're good at sales to be looking for a sales job unless – or you could. There is one, and you'd have to be able to prove it. You've got a really toxic manager. Yeah, that that could be a possibility. But for most people, it's, oh, I'm just looking for new challenges, or I just want to... No, no. You're about to be fired, and you know it. So everything you do um, is really... Uh, it's not unconventional in your world, because you think this is exactly the way to do this. But for a lot of businesses, that sounds like a fairly unconventional approach to, to the recruitment and retention program that they are, are operating, the way that they view selling because, and here's the same, I have, I have clients that will shout this mantra, activity equals results, activity equals results. And I've always kind of said, it's the right kind of activity will deliver results. So it's not about hitting big numbers consistently, it's about hitting the right numbers consistently, but that's not what a business owner wants to hear. It's, uh, it's counterintuitive. Uh, and uh, and it's because we've been so programmed to behave and act a certain way. And the problem most people have, and this is what I teach is, I wrote about it today, actually, is the Romans had a saying, give me the boy until he's seven and I will show you the man. Now, this is before modern psychology. 
And we know that the first seven years of a human being's development is where they subliminally pick up all their programming because they watch and observe everyone around their mum and their dad and their brothers and their sisters and all people, and they absorb it. This is why children who come from, you know, terrible backgrounds can go on to become terrible people. Not all, because some are able to break the programming, you know, and rewire themselves. But a lot of people, you know, you can see where their life's going to be by the age of seven. And even modern school teachers say you can spot the kid, you know, you can just spot them straight away. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. your programming determines how you behave and act. Most of us were watched our mum and dad's buy and sell. And we were taught certain things. At one, you're allowed to lie and be dishonest throughout the whole process. Mum and dad lied the whole time. And you saw that. So when you say, I need to give a think it over, and you said to your dad, so so we're going to buy. No, 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 I just said that. No, it's too expensive, son. We're not getting it. Oh, well, why'd you say you're going to think it over? Well, that's what you tell a salesman. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I thought we had 150 quid to spend. You told them 100. Well, you never tell them how much you got to spend, son. They'll take it all otherwise. Ah, and so you you observed all of this. The phone rang. You were at dinner one night. Everyone was there, mum, dad, brothers, sisters, and your dad answered. He goes, hello? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no she's not in. Sorry. Who was that, dad? He goes, ah, sales school. <laughs> so you spent your entire life programmed that when you're a buyer, it is perfectly legitimate to act immorally, but it's not seen as immoral because you're doing it to salespeople, and salespeople just have to lump it that said lot in life. Yeah. And then I've also said, don't make decisions quickly. Sleep on it. Think it over. Get several options before you ever make a decision. So now we enter the world, you grow up, oh, we've got to see three or four people before we make a decision. And then you go along with it because whenever you get treated like this, whenever someone says a need to think it over, your mum whispers in your ear, oh, I like him. His mum raised him well because that's how I raised you. When they say, well, can you share with me your proposal or your data? You go, of course, because your mum said, what did I teach you about a kid growing up to do with your toys? If you want people to like you, what do you do? Share your toys. So now you've got all this programming. Never talk to strangers. It's rude to interrupt. Always answer a question. All of this is drummed into you. Yeah. And then you get to themselves. And then you give them a telephone prospecting list. I want you to interrupt these busy strangers who are a lot smarter, richer, and better than you. Oh, and by the way, you better have answers to their questions. This is why salespeople crack, press, cast, and dither about prospecting. And then as the phone's dialing, they're thinking, please don't answer, please don't answer, please don't answer. Now they're self-sabotaging. And then like a deer in headlights when they get through, oh, hi, uh, sorry, can I please speak with uh, Mr. Wilson? And then they get shot down and they do all that over and over again. And they wonder why the churn rate on sales is so high. You're sending out all these buyers trying to sell to buyers and no one's ever shown them. You've got to stop acting like a buyer when you're selling. And that's horrible when you realize that. Like that's you're, you're speaking. Like I can, I can, I visualize my world was crafted in sales just like that. I was given a my first job was with a magazine in London, uh, one of those ones you used to give out at the, the tube station, yes. and telephone number, telephone uh, a booth, a like TNT of, or something. That's old. That was here when I first came. LA, I was um, the sister company of LAW, uh, London Australasian Weekly. Okay, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Competitor of TNT, right? So we, we were working, picking up um, Metropolitan. We were Metropolitan, nine to five in Miss London, girl about town. And we were, well, how's it going? Um, oh, fuck. And you would just literally, but you have to make 80 calls a day. And you were monitored on this, and they weren't judging you on success. They were just judging you on like the churn and bang. And th and I that was the best grinding I had because I learned everything that was wrong with selling. You know, the idea that you likability and building up friendships and all that sort of stuff. And when you really it really comes down to it, 
friendship is the least relevant part of your job. Trying to establish that kind of rapport is pointless. It's like dancing around the handbag. It makes no sense whatsoever. No, but it's fed into you. It's all about building rapport, making them like you, tell a cheesy joke, how are you today, all of the spot. And everyone says the same thing. It's like when you go to a networking event, you know, and you ask someone, to how's business? And they go, it's going well. But no one ever says, so why the hell are you at a 7 a.m. breakfast meeting then if business is so good? Yeah. You, you no, know, you, you wouldn't be there, right? So everyone's lying all the time. And so when you ask someone, how are you doing today? The answer's always, fine, thanks. Yeah, so what's the point of asking? Yeah, and they feel, yeah, yeah. So you, you'd, you'd said something. Um, the, the, this came about by me saying, we're hearing a lot from clients, telephone selling doesn't work anymore. So we've got to be more sophisticated digitally. We've got to do all our social outreach. We've got to do X, Y, and Z. But telephone sales isn't working because we've got proof of it. I saw you on a, on a, a couple of uh, interviews on YouTube and LinkedIn where you were kind of saying, Telephone selling works really, really well. Oh, but you need to do it a certain way. Uh, because the myth and the lie that is being peddled by people who have products and services to sell around social selling and social media and all of that is we now live in a world where you've got to educate your prospect. And the more educated the prospect is, the warm them up and all this funnel stuff and all of this. All of this is just code to avoid doing the uncomfortable bit, which is talking to a real human being. Because at the end of the day, if you can nurture someone through a funnel process and they just place an order on your website, that's that's not a sales funnel. That's an order funnel, right? So let's let's forget that's not, so salespeople should have nothing to do with that. Let one part of the company do that. I don't have an issue with that. That that's separate. Salespeople, their job is to get in front of real human beings and try and get that person to discover that they need what they have. Now, I can't make everyone discover it. This is the other thing. Selling isn't about getting everyone to buy from you. It's about finding the right people who rec- who have symptoms of a problem you fix, diagnosing it, and then figuring out, actually, you don't need us, you do need us, or you need something else. That's what I'm trying to do. So the art of selling is the art of communication. It's the art of getting people to tell you the truth. It's like being a lawyer. My job is to extract the truth, knowing that everyone is not telling me the truth in the process. I know they're going to lie about the decision-making, the budget, how important it is, when they need it, how urgent it is. All these things, they're not going to tell me the truth because the first time they ever told a salesman the truth, they got screwed over. Feeling of humiliation and embarrassment and feeling like a fool, they'll never let that happen to them again. So the game is on and we all play the game. So my job is to know we're playing a game, but I've got a better rule book that I'm playing from, and I don't follow yours, I follow mine. And if you want what I've got, you need to follow my game. And that's what it's about. So the, um, there's a clip in that movie, um, it's The Art of Happiness with Will Smith, where he's doing the, the dialing and he just cuts straight to the chase and the guy says, uh, the line that I remember is Monday Night Football, buddy, like, come on over now. And that is the abridged version of a very, very clinical process to get to speak to somebody. You're going straight to the decision maker. You're not uh, going to, I mean, the idea of a gatekeeper for me is that I've never seen an ad, a recruitment ad saying gatekeeper wanted unless it's for a country lodge. Gatekeeper only exists in the mind of a really, really inadequate salesperson. I think that's personal because they haven't been told about like, there's, you know, the, the tips and the tricks and the cuteness of getting straight in to see somebody who can make a decision. And it's all self-perception and their own self-concepts. If you give salespeople two lists, one says CEO, the one says head of, which list are they going to talk, phone through first? Most will go for the heads off. Why? It's lower. 
They're phoning someone they feel is lower to their own self-concept. This is why they love phoning managers, people that can't really make decisions. Yes, some managers have some discretionary unilateral authority, but if you want to talk to people that make real decisions, you go to the top. And the reason people at the top are so guarded isn't because they're so important and precious. The reason you're not allowed to talk to people at the top is they make decisions and they may actually decide to buy what you're selling if you get through. That's why you're not allowed to talk to them. It's not because you're wasting their time. The fear is if you get through to the MD and he likes it, he'll buy. So there's two things that are you're coming out very um, prominently here, Benjamin. The first thing is process. The second thing is confidence and self-belief. Belief, yes. When you're training, um, you can go in and you can do a, a, a burst of six weeks or three, three months or six months worth of process building. How do you work on somebody's mindset and their self-belief? And Because that's not just an event. That's an ongoing thing. That's a forever thing. Mindset always follows the behavior. You can't will yourself thin. You have to go to the gym and you have to change your eating habits. And... You don't want to go to the gym and you don't think the gym's probably going to work because you've got some excuses or justification in your head and you don't really want to change your diet. So if you don't do the behavior, the mindset's never, ever, ever going to uh, change. But if you start doing the behavior, I don't want to go to the gym, but I'm going to go. I'm going to make it my mission every day. I'm going to go at the same time. And after you've done that for a period of time, say a month, and you've done it, it's gone from being a chore and a hassle to now, actually, this is just my routine. This is what I do. Yeah, so the behavior drives the mindset. And so it's getting them to do the same thing over and over again. Why is a surgeon any good? Why is a lawyer any good? Why is a professional athlete any good? If you diagnose what they do, they just do the same stuff over and again. They constantly practice and train doing the same thing over and over again. There's only so many cuts and an appendix or a tonsillitis. How many times have I done this? I've done it 300 times. I could do this backwards. I could do it with my eyes closed. I could do it during a power cut. I know every cut, the depth, the incision. I could, you know, there's nothing in there. That's, there's nothing in the throat that could surprise or shock me. Yeah. I know everything. It's not because I'm natural. Yes, you got some natural talent and aptitude for this, but I had to get good at doing the basics over and over and over and over and over and over again, really, really well. People don't do that in sales. They do shitty behavior over and over again, really, really well. Occasionally, it pays out, and they forget all the times that it didn't. Yeah, I agree with that completely. They, well, they're addicts. They're addicted to hopium. Oh, <laughs> so, right. So, but so go back onto the performance improvement stuff. That deliberate, purposeful practice. Okay, um, and you you're working with um, a sales a sales manager, a sales director, a CEO, and a business owner want your work to have some kind of immediacy to impact really quickly. How, how do you get that across to, to business owners? Like there's a time period here where we're not only changing the process, we're not, the process you have isn't right. We need to refine that. We need to refine scripts. We need to start getting them to challenge the convention of good afternoon. Hello. How are you? I'm calling from all that laughable stuff, but then into the, deliberate practice and who's going to be there to monitor the deliberate practice and who's, you know. This is one of the challenges. This is why I actually tend to prefer not working with companies. I prefer working with individuals. So I have coaching clubs and individuals pay their own money in their own pocket and they work and we work together because these people are motivated to change. When an organization gets in a trainer, it's usually to tick a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cultural change is hard. Uh, people don't like doing things that are uncomfortable. People don't like taking risks. So often, too, you discover, which is a real flaw, is so many 
companies have a sales manager and that sales manager also has a book and a sales target. It's like, well, so what's the number one thing the sales manager is going to prioritize and focus on doing? Hitting his fucking target. So the incentive and the motivation for him to do his job, his job is to not have a target, it's to get the best out of his people, hire the best people. His job is to coach and mentor them, to listen to their calls, to get them to repeat and role play and practice. Their whole job is literally just helping the team. But you give them a book and say, well, you've still got to bring in money. I can't just afford to keep you just, you know, just managing the team like that. We can't afford that. It's like, well, then you might as well not do any training of any description because they can't focus. So, again, it goes back to something you said earlier. It's about what you manage, what you measure, I should say. Uh, I've worked with companies where the measurement was talk time. You must be on the phone 180 minutes a day. You step back and you say, okay, logically, what sort of behavior does a target like that encourage? It encourages long, drawn-out, pointless conversations. Yeah. It's got to hit 180 minutes. So scrap that. Or if it's dial time, what does that encourage? Phoning companies and individuals you know probably won't answer to hit your quota. So what I when I come and I say, measure what matters. What matters is let's figure out how many decision makers these people need to talk to every day to get so many meetings, which will invert, convert to so many seconds, which will convert to final, which will convert to dollars in the bank. And then we work backwards. And now we know you need to talk to four decision makers every day at this level and you need to say this four times. If you do not do that every day, By the end of the week, I will know because I'll say, have you had your 20 conversations? No. Why the fuck not? What were you possibly doing to prevent you doing your job? Yeah, but I made 3,000 dials. I don't care. You didn't talk to four people. I don't care how many dials you make. Did you? Because if you have 20 conversations a week, and we've worked out that you're getting two to three appointments a week, that's uh, 12, eight to 12 a month. We only need four of those to close, which means you've got four to practice on. You should be hitting target. So we can tell very quickly if the behavior they're doing is going to predict success. But they measure the wrong things. They measure vanity. Appointment set. It's not hard to get an appointment with somebody. I'm going to be in the area. Can I just pop in 15 minutes and grab a quick coffee, have a chat? Yeah. Oh, yes, you're fine. Up on the board, meeting in the diary. Yeah. I see I see that a lot. You know, I see that a lot. The interesting thing that you've said there is that you do more work or you do a lot of work with people who want to improve and that doesn't sound as a, a surprise, but I've never heard anybody say that. Most of my work training is with businesses and organizations that are owned by people who who, who want to move up, who, want to, who, who are motivated by improving their business, who know that they can't do it themselves, that they need somebody else to come in and are prepared to take a long-term view on it. But if you're like, as you said earlier on, if you, you know you study in law and I study business studies, like I, I got, I, I fell into this. I didn't want to work on advertising. Who the fuck wants to work for the Mail on Sunday? Jesus, like I, you know, that's where I ended up. And I, I, I understand now the things about high performance because at one point in time at the Mail on Sunday, we were awesome. We we were doing everything, but we had one of the biggest selling newspapers. A lot of stuff was out with our control. For you to be a salesperson, to put your hand up and say, like, I really want to improve my skills is such a logical thing to say out loud. But not that many people say that, right? Or maybe you're getting a lot of people saying that. Well, this is it. I, I always, one, when I work with a company, I do it on one condition. Uh, if they agree that they want to work with me, I say, fine, I'll work with you. But on one condition, you've got to go back to your sales team and say, show them my stuff and say, we're going to get this guy in. 
Uh, we're going to do training with them. Do you want to do training with them? If they they'll go, yeah, 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 we would. Yeah, are you sure? Yeah. And if we get them in, are you going to be willing to implement what he teaches, even if you find it uncomfortable? Because if we do this, you're going to have to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all say yes. Okay, fine. We're going to give it on one condition, though. You have to pay towards this training out of your own pocket. And then you suddenly see all those yeses. Oh, yeah. Dry up. And I said, if they don't all say yes, there's no point getting me in. Why the hell would you invest money in people that won't invest in themselves? And then you get the use, oh, but I want to bollocks of that. Have you ever met a lawyer or a surgeon and said to them, how did you become a lawyer? How did you become a surgeon? How many of them say, oh, I just fell into it? Yeah. They didn't. They went to medical school for seven years, took out a loan, borrowed money off someone paid that was their parents, someone close to them, and they had to study hard. And then they they graduate as a junior as well. They graduate as a junior, yes. At the bottom of the run, lawyers takes five years, accountant three to four years. They all had to pay and invest the time. To become a sales professional takes three days product knowledge training, a suit, a new car, a CRM system, and you are one. <laughs> That's the sign, bite. That's all I wanted, man. Cheers, see it. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's true. Like that's fucking. It true. is. And, and it's never the ongoing. to entry is so low. Yeah, it's yeah. so low. And the number of MDs I've talked to, I said your recruitment process probably looks something like this, right? You advertise for a job, you get about fifteen applicants. After about the eighth one, you're not very impressive. One guy comes in and you say, you know what? He seems all right. Let's give him a shot. Oh yeah. And I'll go, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh my god, yes, yes. Yeah, would you do that with a lawyer or a surgeon? Not a chance, man. Not not a chance. Because the key to all of this, the key to all this is is how much everything that how much everything is valued and what real value looks like. It says a lot about the business owner that they don't value what they're delivering, the service and product that they're putting to the market. That they would bring somebody in who may be incompetent, who may not be, you know, will take a chance with that person but also that they're not prepared to put in place a program of performance improvement to make them even better than when they arrive. Yeah. And it all comes down to the character and integrity of the organisation because most organisations, as much as they pontificate about how much they care, at the end of the line, they just want to get money over the target. They don't give a toss how you get there. Discount, borrow big stuff. I don't care. Just hit the target. Yeah. And that encourages all the crappy, shitty behavior that people find abhorrent and loathsome with sales. So sales, it's very hard for sales to ever be a profession when the primary motivators, we actually, actually we don't care how you get there, just get there. Why do you think SaaS sales always do good at the end of the quarter? It's because all the prospects know that everyone's desperate to hit target at the end of the quarter. So they just sit and wait for them to, okay, well, look, 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 I'll tell you what, how about we give you 5% off over the first year? Yeah. All right. Yeah, gets me over the line. Did we make any money? No, but we hit target. Ah, that's all that matters. The VC people are happy. We can take our bonuses. Look at Netflix. We work. These big companies, they don't make any money. Yet the people who set them up made billions, and the people who made billions because they just steal. Nobody cares. There's no culture of professionalism within many businesses. Not all of them, but the bigger they get, the less they care. You're detached. The bigger you get, the more detached you are from the customer. Well, yeah. You know, it, it just becomes a balance sheet. It becomes a spreadsheet of numbers in the bottom right-hand corner is the one that survives, you yeah. know? Yeah, and it doesn't matter how we get there so long as we get there. And if that was the approach of lawyers or surgeons, they wouldn't be professions. We're the only profession that calls itself a profession yet has no ethics or integrity or process to keep it decent woven through it. And, you know, when you talk about um, sales is about 
sustainable conflict, you know, it's about being able to challenge, it's about being able to create that space where you can say, no, you're fucking wrong, Mr. Client. I know because I know more than you, but you can't have that kind of conflict unless you've got trust. Yeah. And if you, you can't trust, you know, like big media organizations, the banks, the churches, institutional distrust has never been higher. Exactly. You can't go to your lawyer or your doctor and tell them what to do. Look, I've been on Google. I know how this law caper works. I've read up about this. I want you to do this. The lawyer will say, look, buddy, I'm the expert. This is my advice. You either take my advice or you don't take my advice. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. You either take the prescription I prescribe or don't take the prescription I prescribe. But you don't come in here and tell me what to do. You come to me because... I'm the expert. Salespeople forget that they're the expert. And again, most haven't been equipped to be the expert. But if you've built a company that sells stuff that works, why the hell are you justifying or defending your position to a stranger who says, come and convince me why I should buy from you? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, pay you I'll pay you less for that. Why don't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the opposite. When I get in front of people, it's I know my stuff works. The question is, can you convince me why I should help you? Yeah. That's, That's a good point. That's a good point. I think yeah. there's there's the, the the burden of proof is on both sides really you know it's on, it's on the it's on the seller and the buyer to prove that this is right for both of us that's what will lead to a win win rather than you browbeating somebody selling them for at a price that's reduced and they ultimately don't they don't want that they don't need it and you're not ever going to get any lifetime value out of that relationship. The way I do it is I'm going to ask you questions about your situation that you should know the answer to. And when you realize you don't know the answer, then you're going to figure out very quickly, I must, because I'm able to ask the questions to help you figure out you don't know what you're doing. And if I can do that, that means I know more about this than you. That's why you're going to pay me. I'm not here to convince you that yeah. I'm very good at this. You will figure it out for yourself because you will know how little you know about the problem that you're asking me to fix. Yeah. So that's well put, yeah. We're talking a lot about telephone sales here, Benjamin, as well. And, and there's a, I'm going to regret saying this, but um, how do you feel about social selling? How do you feel about the blending? The, the social selling is just a fancy way of saying marketing and advertising. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just marketing and advertising. I use social selling. I post on LinkedIn. I post on Substack. I create content for YouTube. Why? I try to attract people to me. It's marketing, yeah, but they still have to reach out to me and I have to engage them and I have to talk to them. And the selling is the bit you do once they've got to you. So social selling, marketing, that's what you do to attract people to you. Selling is what you do once they're there. And then it's all about disqualifying because I attract a lot of people with my stuff, but 85% of them aren't suitable. They have no money. They're just trying to steal free information from me. All of these different reasons that prospects think they're allowed to engage. So my job is then to disqualify out to find the 15% from all the stuff that I've generated that's actually going to be able to move forwards and pay my fees. The um, the whole idea of... Uh, I, I The reason I said social selling is because I know that you had that particular position on it. Um, I, the companies that I'm working with, some of them... The salespeople will say telephone selling doesn't work and they hide behind LinkedIn posts and they hide behind messaging and they hide behind emails. And a good sales cadence is a mixture of everything like it always has been. Yes, it always has been. And, and what it is, is again, because we live in a world of I want everything now, there's no delayed gratification. Yeah. And delayed gratification in a human being is one of the greatest signs of success. The longer you can delay gratification, the more successful you will probably likely to be. And they're all experiments done with children. You stick a chocolate in front of a kid for 10 minutes and say, if you don't eat it within 10 minutes, you'll get two. 
the ones that can sit there and wait for the two tend to go on to do a lot better in life than the one that says, ah, I don't mind, I'll just have the one now. Yeah? yeah. So modern social media, you see a handful of people on LinkedIn that have made a lot of money from doing all the stuff they say that you should do on LinkedIn. And you go, I want to be like that. But that, that won't work for you. Not everyone can create a personal brand. Not everyone needs a personal brand. If you work for IBM, IBM is the brand. Yeah. Yeah? I, I'm a one-man band, so I've had to create a brand. I'm a one-man guy selling in a very crowded marketplace. Yes, I had to create a brand. But if I work for IBM, I just get really good at understanding why IBM products solve people's problems and making the people realize how good I am at asking them the questions to realize they don't know how to fix their problems. I don't need a personal brand to do that. But this is the lie that's being sold because everyone's on on, 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 on social media. You just be you, your authentic self. All this crap, this, this new age bollocks. You know, if you just be you, you're going to piss off more people than you're actually going to warm to because most people don't naturally warm to you. Yeah. So it's all, all a lie that's being sold to younger people. I mean, that's I'm not surprised. If you can change your gender, then why the hell? <laughs> you know, the, but this is, a, this is a fear that you would have for people coming through and... Like the, this is not down on, on a particular generation or a cohort that has been lumped together because of birthdays. But this, this is about um, resi resilience and knowing what a real slap on the teeth looks like and knowing what hard work looks like. And I'm not saying that people don't work hard. There's some guys that are, you know, a fraction of the age that I am who are doing stuff at 25 and 26 that I'll never do. And I salute them and I think it's amazing that they're doing it. But for people with an expectation that stuff is going to be given to them, it's hard. It's sales is hard. It's, yeah. Sales is hard. You can blame your environment. You know, it's that old cliche thing from Glengarry Glen Ross when Baldwin talks about all of the things that we bitch about, but the economy, COVID, you know, pandemic, Ukraine, you, you don't get out of bed in the morning if you listen to that stuff. Yeah. The world keeps turning. The same amount of money keeps getting spent. Um, you know, so it, it is. It's excuses people give to justify why they're not achieving. It's not my fault. Ergo, I don't have to look in the mirror. Um, and people avoid looking at them. People don't like change. It's easy to blame something else. And yeah, like you say, there are a lot of young people who are very, very good, who are very motivated, and who get it. But and there's a lot that aren't. And unfortunately, they all tend to get lumped together. And then it's reinforced by older paternalistic people, you know. And it's then they they multi coddle. You know, multi coddling someone doesn't help them grow. Life is tough. It's not fair. Fairness isn't even a concept that exists in the universe. Yeah, it's not mentioned in any religious text. There's no such thing as fairness. There's no such thing as fairness. The Bible talks about justice, but it doesn't talk about fairness. Fairness is a completely created concept that can't exist in a world based on survival of the fittest. There's no fairness in nature. There's no fairness in the universe. Yeah. Based on, based on that, and you were going back to talking to your younger version of yourself, an 18-year-old version, just before you took your university choice. Yes. And you knew that there was a career in sales for you that you could sell something of really, really high value, and you could you could like make a lot of money more than a barrister. You could do something really sort of altruistic as well with it. Say it's ticking off all of the teenage boxes that you would have, right? What advice would you give to your younger self about selling and how to approach selling? To study it and treat it like it was any other profession. To actually go anywhere to figure out what makes it work. Pick a process and get really, really good at it. Don't keep flicking to the next shiny, better-looking process. I think 
Now, like I said, I'm not going to promote any particular process because I do my thing. But if you got really good at spin or at Zig Ziglar or at Sun or at um, uh, Myers-Briggs or whatever, there's so many different selling systems. Gap Theory by Keenan and you got Justin Michael. If you got really good at any one of these, all you did was master that, then you'd probably be okay. I don't think it matters which particular process you use. Some will be better than others, yeah, because that's life. But if you picked one and got really good at it, you'd do well. But that's not what people do. I love salespeople. I don't read sales books for the very reason that I don't think there's anything in them that hasn't already been said. Yeah, it's just done. What I teach has already been said. I just got really good at doing bits of it, then put it together. And I've just repackaged it. Now I sell it. I'm a capitalist. That's what I do, right? There's okay. nothing new in the world of sales. Get good at it. It's the art of listening. It's the art of asking good questions. It's the art of asking cute questions that are curious. It's knowing how to do all that in a nurturing way so you don't upset people. It's having no attachment to the outcome. So you're not there to sell. You're there to get to the truth. Just like a lawyer. I don't know what's going to happen when the jury goes out on day 14 of the trial. I don't care. What I care about is everything I do up to the point that the judge sends the jury out to make a decision because that I control. The only thing I don't control is what they're doing in the deliberation room. But if I've done my job well, if I've done everything right, asked all the right questions in the right way, and I've done it competently without negligence, and we win, I get all the credit for being great. If we lose, well, I also don't get in trouble because I did everything right. It just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And sometimes, and that's why that's why you let go. The lawyer doesn't care that if we, you know, if we lose this, you go to prison for life. He's not thinking, oh God, I better not lose. This poor guy's going to go to jail for life. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. No, 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 I don't care. That's 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 two weeks down the line. I'm going to do my job well. And whatever happens, happens. That, I'll go back to my younger self and say, learn how to do that, and you'll be able to print money till the day you die. That's a lovely idea, but not been attached to the outcome. Um, oh. But again, you know, the the, the process I, behind me, and, you know, this is the mandatory library on all the books that I haven't read. And I got loads of stuff on sales. I got loads of stuff. And I don't see any of them standing out miles and miles above all of the other ones. They all, they're all they all very much um, a theme on a theme. And I would agree with you completely. If you pick one and you become an expert in it and you can create it and make your own, because I think that I, I, you know consultative selling spin or select or whatever it is, they're all, they're all going to work if you can work them. Yes, if you get really good at them and master the techniques and are adaptive, then yes, you can't not because all of them teach you essentially selling is a communication skill. All these books are books about how to communicate better. If you can communicate better, you'll sell better. And so it doesn't matter which style you're going to use. Yeah, but again, like I say, people don't put in the effort. Sales are supposed to be easy. You're supposed to read a book, do a couple of lines, and make a lot of cash. No. It's not how you become a good lawyer. It's not how you become a good surgeon. Years of practice, years of study, ongoing training, trying to get better and always reflecting on what you've done and figuring out where it went wrong and how can I do better and only focusing on the process. The entire legal system was created to take the emotion out of it. If we let emotions dictate what you do to people that have done nasty things, we'd be, well, we've still got it now. We've got pitchforks on Twitter instead, right? But it would be people being burnt at the stake by angry mobs. So we create an entire system to remove the emotion from it. You've got a judge, you've got representatives, they dress up so everyone's formal, you know, you know, you've got the jury, and everyone knows their place, and we do this to keep the emotion out of it. Because if we just do this emotionally, we're just going to end up killing people. 
without evidence. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. That uh, makes a lot of sense. I'm going to leave you with, with one question for you again. If you were framing this as a business owner or a sales director, what advice would you give them straight off the bat other than just saying you need to get good training in? What would you say to them? People that are serious about improving their, their performance, profitability, and sales. If you believe any of the excuses that your salespeople get for not being able to prospect or sell a valid, then that's your fault. If you believe Brexit, if you believe the economy, if you believe the data's poor, if you believe nobody's answering the phone, if you believe the pricing's too high, if you believe the if you believe all the excuses they give you, then you're never, ever, ever going to help yourself. Because if you believe they're true, then you don't have a sales problem. You can never bitch or moan about your sales figures if your guys are giving those excuses and you're accepting them as valid. If you believe they're not valid and you're not hitting your target, then you need to change. And it's amazing. I have that conversation because when I get in front of CEOs or MDs, I ask us, what excuses do you typically get for why it's not working? And they give you the usual. And I go, do you believe any of them? And most say, I think some of them are fair. I go, like, what? And then they pick it. And then as soon as they do that, I say, in that case, I said, I can't help you. If you genuinely believe the excuses you've been given are fair or valid, then I can't help you. You're getting the exact outcome you deserve. It's fine. I'm going to leave now. And then they start to roll back the moment they think I'm leaving. Well, well uh, yeah, you can't say the excuses are valid. Because they have, you have to defend them. Because you have to defend them. If you think the excuses are valid, you have to defend them. <laughs> and you have to defend your people. And that's the default response of a manager. Yeah, defend their people. So, so if you're defending what they're doing, then why the fuck are we talking? Yeah, I'm not here to pat you on the back and say there, there, there. You're being a good job. It's just the nasty world that's being mean to you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. For if that's sure. what you're looking for, then yes, there are plenty of people out there that will do that for you. There are plenty of sales traders that will come in and reaffirm what you're doing. Fine. If you're going to reaffirm what you're doing, you should then be saying, well, why are we even having sales training? Yeah. I think you're going to hold on to that title for a few more years, you know. Well, it's pretty hard for someone to try and come and steal it. That's why I made it. Right? <laughs> I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to come along and say, no, I'm more hated. But you know. <laughs> hold, hold my beer. <laughs> hold my beer, right? Yeah. Listen, man, I know time is, is up and it's like brilliant. Thanks. It's took a while to get this going. I've enjoyed every second. Thanks very much. Um, give, give me, um, people listening here, where can, they, where can they view your content and subscribe and maybe some people who want to try a different way of being yes. trained individuals sure. want to get in touch? So, obviously, social selling, there are multiple ways to get a hold of me. I've got a YouTube channel, UK's Most Hated Sales Trainer. I'm on Substack, UK's Most Hated Sales Trainer. And LinkedIn, when I'm not in LinkedIn jail, is... Uh, <laughs> this was last week? <laughs> yeah, last week. So, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, YouTube, or um, Substack. Um, and I've got a website, which, funnily enough, is UK's, with an S, Most Hated Sales Trainer. <laughs> <laughs> hard to find me. Cheers, man. Listen, thank thank you very much. That's been that's been very enjoyable. Listen, well, take take care, man. Thank you, Paul. I've enjoyed it.